Welcome to Undivided Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Today I'm joined with uh, Jessica Seymour, who's in Ohio, Rachel Adams, who's in Chattanooga, and Frank Ernesto, who is our new co-host and joining us in Miami, Florida. Now, I want to just start the episode by introducing you guys to Frank. So Frank, uh, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Inspired by the actor Studio uh, with James Lipton. Are you ready? Oh, Great. Does this come along with the uh, British or the mid-Atlantic accent and the stench of failed actor? But of course. <laughs> oh, great, great. Oh. What is your favorite word? Uh, behoove. Why? Uh, it's so much more efficient than saying it is in your best interest too. <laughs> so can you give me a situation where you use that, I guess, in everyday conversation? Oh gosh, I don't, I, I can't think off the top of my head. Like, but anytime I would have to say it's in your best interest. So like, uh, it would say it would behoove you to get gas before you getting on the expressway. All right, I like it. I like I, the efficiency of this word. I agree. Yeah. That is a great <laughs> word. Uh, it would behoove you to use the word behoove. There we go. Yeah. Now, here's the second question. Uh, what sound or noise do you hate? Huh. Um, what sound or noise do I hate? I think I hate really small yappy dogs, like poodles, like toy poodles or toy Yorkies. I hate those. <laughs> Is that your dog barking in the background, by the way? <laughs> oh, can you hear that? Okay, yeah, that's that's actually my um, that's not that's not my dog. That is that's actually my dog's best friend. <laughs> Is he the toy? Toy he's, a, he's a toy Yorkie. Yes. And we can hear that for sure. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I think we understand where you're coming from. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, and I see now what you're having to endure today, which yeah. is unbearable. I'm sorry. Yeah, but if yeah. your dog yeah. has a best friend, you know, you got to yeah. do what's right by your dog. <laughs> Thankfully, my dog does not bark at all, actually. Really? What? What does your, what do, how does your dog communicate? He With whimpers. Oh, okay. He whimpers sometimes. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Well, here's the next and question. And his tail and his eyes. Oh, and his tail. Um, yeah. Oh, this is really like, sad. My dog, does, my, dog does, my dog doesn't even have a tail. <laughs> what? Oh, How do you, you know if it's to... happy or sad? I know, right? <laughs> oh, there's ways. It's okay. <laughs> we can talk about dogs all day. Yeah, we can. Here we go. What is your favorite movie snack? Uh, gummy bears. Okay. Any specific flavor? Green. Okay. Uh, can you do any impression? I feel like it's. I feel, I feel like. I feel like this is the lightning round at like on a uh, Family Feud. This is. This is. I just. Green. Yeah. Yeah. Next. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> uh, can you do any impressions? I can do I, – okay, I hope this doesn't sound racist. I got this from Mike Myers. I can do a really good old Jewish woman from New York, like oh Linda Frischman. Can That's we hear I, this? <laughs> okay. Well, this is me impersonating Mike Myers doing Linda Frischman. Oh, my gosh. I went, to, I, went, I went to the palace to see Barbara. Her voice is like butter. <laughs> oh, I get off verklempt. I'll give you a talk amongst yourselves. I'll give you a topic. Peanut, neither a pea nor a nut. Discuss. That's excellent. <laughs> All right. Totally committed. Yeah, that's good. That was, well, Frank is also a method actor. 
in case you didn't oh, know. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I, I, I lived as a old Jewish woman in New York for, for many years. <laughs> I didn't know this about you. Yeah. <laughs> you should totally add it to your bio. <laughs> Coffee has been a cornerstone of great hospitality for many years. It's delicious and approachable, both complex and comforting. It's a perfect drink for civil conversations. Eastlick Coffee Company is a coffee roasting company that values exploration, experimentation, and trying something new. Their pleasure is sharing their passion, which is their coffee. They offer a wide range of coffee flavors from different origins, such as their new Burundi flavor, which has notes of vanilla and blackberry. Head over to eastlickcoffee.com and enter the promo code UNDIVIDED to get 10% off on your next online purchase. So um, with the rise of technology and the uh, rise of just uh, mass distribution of all kinds of information, I have to ask you guys, like, how are you feeling <laughs> with everything that's that's being released on a daily basis, whether that's news, whether that's any form of content? How are you guys experiencing all of this yourselves? So I will say that it is overwhelming and even just putting on the local news, which can sometimes just be about the weather, like some local events, um, there is a certain, uh, they will kind of overplay certain sad or tragic stories or they'll um, kind of put stuff that just kind of makes you feel a little bit fearful of what you're going to encounter when you go outside. So. That's like just the local news. And then when it comes to understanding what's going on in the rest of the country or in the world, you're kind of like, oh, my God, there's just a lot going on. And I, I do want to be involved and aware. Um, I hate the idea. You know, I hate being ignorant and I love to learn. And I'm trying to, to expose myself to as much as I can. But um, it is overwhelming when things are constantly happening. And, um, you know, I personally have had a hard time. Um, just trying to stay on top of it. And I've been trying to find different methods, different ways to just kind of receive the news with as uh, least amount of slant as possible. And slant just meaning like bias or like just overt bias because there's bias and everything. Um, and, uh, but still it, it's a challenge to understand like what I'm hearing, is it filtered yeah. through someone's uh, perception or is it just, you know, are they trying to be as neutral as possible? So I do try to like find out the primary you know, document or like the, the original source of something, if something specifically controversial or disturbing has come up, like I just try to get to the beginning of that. Um, but that requires time and, you know, effort. And, you know, I can't always do that with every single day or every single story I encounter. But um, yeah, it's it's been a challenge to just sift through all that's going on. Um, so I do end up reading. I use my escape outlet, <laughs> which is all my books. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when it gets life gets too overwhelming, um, but yeah, that's that's how I'm dealing with it. If that's part of the question, yeah. Rachel, how are you experiencing everything? Um, well, I guess if I'm honest, I I feel like I'll go through cycles of either um, kind of like Jesse said, trying to read from a variety of sources, but then getting a little bit frustrated because. Um, a lot of them seem to, even if they're technically saying they're a different source of news, I think there's a lot of overlap between that. Um, a lot of companies being owned by the same mega company. And so kind of all of these different 
outlets actually having the same source of information that they're drawing from. So sometimes I get overwhelmed and a little bit frustrated with that and we'll end up just backing away and ignoring the news altogether for a while, which isn't necessarily a great alternative, but <laughs> um, sometimes I find myself just needing a little bit of a break from it all, I guess. Yeah, I, I think um, I'm with Jessica and, and Rachel as well. Like a lot of times the um, news, consuming the news feels kind of like an exercise and like endurance, like how much can you take? Um, and when, you know, as Jessica and Rachel were talking, like it, it reminded me of like, there was, I was, um, I read a while back this, this piece that that compared kind of like or George Orwell's view of dystopian future with uh, Aldous Huxley's view. Um, and it made the case that like we're living in more of like a Huxleyan uh, kind of future where like George Orwell, like he, he had this vision of a future where like the government clamped down on news media and, you know, controlled what we got. Um, whereas Aldous Huxley's view was more of like, there's so much information being pushed at the population, that the population just doesn't want the news. So the news is out there and we just don't care. We rather, you know, you know, preoccupy ourselves with, you know, the Soma or the orgy porgies or whatever. Um, and so like, I thought that piece really, really exemplified like how I feel as well. And I've heard a lot of other people feeling that there's just, I mean, there's 24 hour news networks um there's and there's one for each political slant and there's just so much news and you don't know what is real and what isn't and it's just so much work to be able to disseminate truth from fiction that you just kind of want to throw up your hands and just say i don't i don't really care like what is you know you just want to watch you know the kardashians it makes me think uh about uh not only how the distribution of information media is changing but also how the norms of how we even interpret or even discuss content uh, is even changing. Over the last 50 years, you've seen an increase in distrust towards media. There is a distrust towards media uh, that even is skeptical on, on whether or not the process in which they get their information is even uh, ethical or even uh, correct or even accurate. Um, so. They're, they're, not only are the norms changing, but the attitudes are changing at a rapid pace. And it's hard to know whether or not I should go with the tide and just constantly be skeptical, or if there are some things in which are true. Uh, but yeah, I, I just need to think through the tools and the ways in which I can discern the news a little bit better. Well, so for one, I try to, if, you know, there's, there's kind of different levels of news, of, 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 of consuming news that I take. So there's like the first kind of superficial level where just kind of, uh, it might be like the headlines that I see as I'm perusing the internet or, you know, the blogs, um, just to know what's going on, like the royal wedding, like, oh, I know there's a royal wedding going on, but I don't really, I didn't watch it or anything. Or I'll happen to know that like, oh, there's, you know, there's uh, this budget proposal coming up, but I haven't really looked at it. And then there's the, uh, like the more kind of monolithic news, which is like the stuff that's really kind of permeating our culture right now. So, you know, in February and March, it was maybe, you know, gun control, so Parkland. So stuff that the NRA was doing, that was big. So I would go into the news, read it, try to find other sources. Um, 
yeah so there's those two levels there's a superficial just to figure out what's going on the lay of the land and then there's like the, the more in-depth stuff and i usually try to i usually try to seek out um opposing views so like i like reading huffington post and i like reading you know fox news i don't necessarily trust either one of them but i like to see if there's any any um any way that they answer each other's kind of um, yeah i was points. gonna say i think that's a really wise way to like even if you and maybe even especially because we know that those two have very distinct leanings and they're not trying to hide it um i think reading both and then looking for where the middle ground is on a story um has been a way that i've i've tried in the past to make sure that i'm not just jumping to a conclusion one direction or the other um, because if you choose two sources that you know are openly and usually admitting to having a bias at least if the bias is disclosed you can accept that and use it as a comparison um mm -hmm. i um i want to add something that i you know when i was thinking of this topic it reminded me of a quote from uh frederick nietzsche because <laughs> he says uh, the surest way to corrupt the youth is to instruct him to hold in higher esteem those who think alike than those who think differently i think a, a big problem is the fact that like we tend to gravitate towards news outlets that confirm our political persuasions so if we're conservative we tend to like fox news and say oh it comes from the huffington post so that can't be true um right. or vice versa if we're uh liberal um and i think that's the thing we have to learn to actively seek out those voices of dissent those people who disagree with us a few weeks ago i saw they um they, they made a video where they altered they had like a speech like obama giving a speech yeah. but they like altered the video so that it looked exactly like i mean they made it clear that it wasn't his voice you know but it made it sound like he was just trash talking donald trump and saying you know really funny things um and the point was that there is this danger with the advance of technology that like videos can be doctored to yeah. make anybody you can make like them say anything you want. <laughs> and it used to be so damning if someone did have a video of something like, oh, someone recorded so and so saying this with Mitt Romney. Remember? Yeah. Someone mm -hmm. at the the you know at this closed party recorded this saying. Like, there's a lot of stuff that can be fabricated and completely blown out of proportion. So I just remember, I saw that exact same thing. It's an app that you could just download mm -hmm. the person and make their mouth move to whatever words you want. So it's it's unreal. But, but my, my question is, how, how do you think we're going to be, and I don't have an answer to this either, but like, how do you think we're going to be able to, moving forward, be able to actually trust the media and trust what we see when exactly. we know that technology can fabricate anything? I don't know if we can. I guess that's why, and I mean, that's sort of why I guess I said at the beginning, like, I'll just get fatigued with it all because there's so much checking and balancing. Like, I think that's why people are generally becoming really frustrated and not trusting the media because we all know that you can make a video or you know a picture look or sound like anything you want so it takes a lot of work and a lot of time to try to compare stories and match things up and think okay well you know this was reported by this person and they have this bias so i'm going to take this into account in this way and compare it against this person who has that bias and i think in some ways while it's still possible it's just becoming such a complex skill or art to be able to decipher what's going on 
I don't, the other thing well, that I've been thinking about and kind of wondered, I mean, this might be a little bit off track, but what do you guys think about like the fact that our culture is so saturated with like, even just like commercials and things that are being pushed at us are sold to us. Right, right. Everyone who's reporting or showing us something has an agenda and they're trying to make us buy into something that may or may not actually be right. true. Well, there, <laughs> And I feel like that's kind of a, a piece of the puzzle at least. Yeah. Right, if, if I can uh, maybe coalesce an answer based on both questions. Um, mm. I don't see how the outcome in a public that's, you know, being overwhelmed by media, I don't see an outcome where um, skepticism won't be practiced in the future. Um, It's only a natural byproduct of a situation where we're feeling overwhelmed uh, constantly by what's going on. We have to practice skepticism because we're seeing what happens when people with power or influence or money do when they want to, you know, get a specific thing done or accomplished, whether it be good or bad. So I don't, I don't see how we can ever uh, detach ourselves from having a sense of skepticism whenever we hear any, any bit of news that comes across uh, to us. I do think uh that will have to be coupled with a sense of emotional intelligence and understanding um, how the, how we even discuss uh, this media and even interpret it for ourselves. Because a lot of what is being shared or even produced in uh, many media outlets, its goal is to get us to react to a specific thing. Um, mm, so with fear. well, in many cases, that's, that's true. Um, so understanding that we, we are being fed these, uh, specific stories because they want to excite certain impulses that are just natural to us, uh, is something that we have to be mindful of. And we will have to be mindful of even more moving forward. I don't think it's going to improve my, my personal belief is when we build new technology that combats misinformation there's going to be new technology that comes combats that uh rachel's question as well um you know i i think the thing i keep in mind are are two things uh why a specific content uh is being created and what is the focus of that content when whenever i keep those things in mind i'm able to kind of filter out all the BS and see, okay, you know, there's a specific goal that they're trying to, to reach with whatever content, whether it's news, whether it's a movie, whether it's a, uh, you know, a book, whatever it may be, any form of media, um, I have to keep those two things in mind. Why is this being created? And also what is the focus? I think part of it, so so I'm going to play both sides of this. (laughs) So, um, Part of it is you, I would combat it with, um, I think we can combat this kind of uh, skepticism of, you know, kind of being sold a bill of goods by one, developing um, kind of like, um, developing trust in journalists or organizations that have a proven track record. So reputation of accurate reporting, um, as well as, as well as um, kind of finding communities or building communities in our own lives with people who who have 
you know, expertise in subjects. So like if, you know, with the Yanni or Laurel thing, like I'm asking my friend who happened to have studied linguistics, you know, questions rather than relying on people or, um, or like back when, you know, Parkland happened, there was a, there was a, a news segment about how um, Trump had signed into, had, had kind of like repealed a rule from Obama. And, you know, I was lucky enough to actually know somebody who had actually helped write the rule, you know, and so he really educated me on this rule, on this particular rule. Um, so just kind of really looking into our communities for people who are like more knowledgeable than us in certain areas, as well as um, kind of building trust in certain institutions that have a proven track record. And that kind of goes into my second point, where if we can look at at um, the media, almost like the same way we look at advertisements, we kind of make it into this marketplace of ideas. And so the more the more reliable a news network becomes, the more money that news network will be as people put their trust in them. And therefore, um, you know, we you know we can use that kind of uh, capitalist system um, to create a better news network, hopefully, where we can actually, um, you know, we can promote news networks that are more reliable. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I feel like I, a little it, it makes, at the end. It, it makes sense. I, I think I, um, here's me uh, practicing skepticism. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard because, of course, we have news organizations like Fox News where right. I, that's we, a, we know yeah, yeah. That they don't always say the, tr the truth and yet they make a lot of money. Um, and that's why my particular concern is this kind of culture we have where we are becoming a people who value those who agree with us more than those who disagree with us right and so that idea of this marketplace of ideas promoting legitimate news isn't really going to work unless we also have a culture that that values exactly. truth more than it values uh, being like agreement right right and i feel like um i really agree with what you guys are saying i feel like it's 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 like you said, skepticism balanced with emotional intelligence, but also like for me, I really just want neutral news. I just want somewhere I could go that says this happened today. Yeah. This is the words that were spoken at this meeting. Cause if I can't be there, you know, if something's happening in my community and I can just go, I'll go. And then I'm like, okay, I saw what happened. I heard the things that were spoken and I can react accordingly, but you can't be present for all the things. That's why we have reporting. Um, so I do feel that, you know, and you can't just say, okay, I filmed it because we're just getting an edit or a photo, you know, mm -hmm. cause that's just showing a small picture of something bigger. So you can't trust images. Um, so I do feel like what Frank was saying, you go to a source, that you know in the community that you trust because it's a, it's a relationship that you have. And if you're not lucky enough to have that, I mean, I know some people on Facebook who will just say, I have a question. And then they see the stuff that comes and some of it is legit. Some of this is just, you know, people talking. Um, but there are certain communities that you can reach out to to kind of um, get test the waters to understand what actually might have occurred here. Um, mm. And I think that finessing your uh, system of it's almost like you're skimming you the pool to get the leaves out. You just have to like, or the gold where you're trying to like sip the gold and you're just kind of like, okay, like I understand I'm going to get dirt, but I'm looking for those gold nuggets of truth. And ultimately 
that's what's going to stick around. And some of these bigger stories generally start with a kernel of truth. So you kind of are like, okay, I understand this is what the news is telling me and blaring at me, but you know, what part of it is accurate and how do I feel about that? Am I worried? Am I afraid? Um, you know, I moved to Ohio and I saw this main street that's empty. There are no businesses. I mean, it's tiny little main street, but ultimately, um, I could see that I grew up where I was, I didn't see my general community being affected by the 2008 recession. I knew it impacted my personal life, but my community seemed fine. And then I moved to a smaller area. And this many years later, this little town is not recovered. So I feel like my um, my concern is I want to have the truth and I want to be able to have these accurate details about these domestic issues uh, that, that are happening in the US, like about our president, about the politics, about all these things that are occurring so that I can make decisions about how I'm going to vote, how, right. um, like whether I care about the thing that we're discussing, like I'm ambivalent, move on. Like what's the next topic? Like I don't care about restructuring the county lines. Maybe that doesn't matter to me. You know, maybe it should, but ultimately like it's, I wanna know where I can go to get those facts so I can then make a decision and no one needs to tell me how to make my decision. I guess that's where like, I feel like there is a bit of a vacuum that we're all dealing with because it's like I, I don't need anyone to tell me how to think i know like i can make decisions i can be deductive i can be like okay and selfishly i want to know how this affects me you know but if if you have a degree of empathy then you're like okay i want to know how will this affect my neighbor here's a question i have for you guys so um there's been a lot of talk about like reinstituting this policy called the fairness doctrine i don't know if you've heard of it before um and it was basically a policy by the fcc um, it was instituted in 19, 1949, and it was finally eliminated in 1987 and basically required that any holders of broadcast licenses allot equal time or a certain amount of time to opposing viewpoints. And so uh, there's been a lot of talk like every every so often whenever there's like a huge really like polarizing issue about reinstituting this fairness doctrine, which would require, you know, um, you know, networks like like uh, Fox News to have, you know, equal time or certain time allotted to liberal viewpoints and also uh, MSNBC to allot a certain time for conservative viewpoints. Um, do you think that regulating um, how much time, you know, uh, you know, uh, certain networks or news outlets allot to different viewpoints is a way that we can uh, combat media illiteracy? I feel like that would only work if people were coming at it honestly, because I mean, I can see where like, if you put down that sort of rule, people might agree to do it because they had no choice basically, but then use it to actually, you know, maybe select like the least well-spoken or the poorest representation of their opponents. Yeah, side that's exactly what I was be like look at how dumb they are look at what stupid things they said and this is why you should only believe us now leading into our you know conversation about this and you'll I don't I feel like you could really just use it to even amp up and I mean in some ways I think that's kind of how media currently tries to appear unbiased it's like oh look we interviewed people from both sides but you can usually tell it's still coming from a very blatant one side or the other kind of approach. Yes, I I agree in in trying to let people hear things from multiple perspectives, but 
where do you draw the line, I yeah. guess? What I find interesting is that like, you know, so it was instituted between 1949 to the 80s. So that's kind of generally like a time period where we kind of yeah. view it as kind of like the golden age of, of, of media. We have, you know, we have Edward R. Morrow, we have, you know, Diane, um, we have, you know, Barbara Walters, Walter you know, all these, Cronkite. yeah, Walter Cronkite, there we go. Oh my gosh, my, my, my journalism professor is uh, <laughs> yeah. crying out in agony somewhere. Yeah, he's an active listener to Undivided Podcasts. So. <laughs> yeah. um, but, um, but, you know, we, we, we view this time period as this kind of golden age. Um, and we and now we just think that the media is kind of like in a down, downward spiral. My, I'm generally kind of against it just because my problem is not so much as what is the criteria. Maybe it is. My problem is more of like who is making the criteria. You know, it's, mm-hmm. if, it, if it is a government regulation, then what does the government deem as acceptably liberal or acceptably conservative? Right. Um, and that's where I have the problem. And it's the government kind of uh, making that line. Yeah. Because, I mean, the government is inherently political and is inherently um, biased. And so when they're regulating the media, that's what worries me. I really like the idea of it. I feel like it would just be such a great exercise and debate and using logic and reasoning and not attacking the person, but addressing purely the issue. I feel like we can't engage in conversation about issues without someone saying something about the person in question rather than saying, okay, I hear what you're saying and I disagree with these points and this is my breakdown in terms of my response. Um, I'm tired of people saying, well, you are blah, blah, blah. And uh, I just, address what he's saying, you know, um, and obviously credentials are an issue, but, you know, I, I just, I think that the exercise would be really interesting to see, but I completely agree with you. I feel like when the government starts to interact with that freedom of speech um, uh, issue, um, it's a little bit, it's kind of like, like you said, it has to be about like who makes the decision about that criteria. Is it just that the government is there to be like, look guys, these are the rules, play as you will, but here we've got three rules, follow right. these three rules and, and then we're do whatever you want. Um, you know, if it could be more um, like hands off, but like, look, we just want to make sure people are getting both sides to a view because I think as you were saying, Frank, before, I feel like the news was something that people could trust. And now, especially now that we have so many other avenues of, of people reporting or showing mm-hmm. or memes or articles that are blogs that are being shared and reposted, um, you're kind of in a position where you're like, none, like who, who did the, who sourced this information? Right. Um, I want, you know, it, to be able to trust what I'm reading, but who is this person? Like, how, how did this blog post get on here? Well, there's a picture, so I got to trust the picture. And so people are interacting with news in such a different way. So it, I would love to have like, here's our standard. When it comes to interacting with the news, I do feel like, okay, we were saying this earlier, um, everyone's interacting with news that already confirms what they believe. So right. if those news outlets had to have someone of an opposing view, just by pure, like, I'm watching this channel and it happens to have someone with a different view, at least then you'd have some exposure. So for that, I would actually, like, I, when you said that rule, I was like, that's so compelling. Because at least then it's like, oh, right. other people have a different point of view. Right, right, right. Oh, my goodness. It's not just people on the edges of society. Like, it's, it's mm-hmm. other people who have this view. And this guy, you know, or woman is intelligent so okay other people have a different point of view we yeah. agree to disagree but it's just 
I don't think people have that right now. They're just colored in a way that makes them like you disregard them. Like, no, that person, they're and whatever name call you want to call them. The the question I have for you guys is then what is our role and what is our responsibility as um, citizens in terms of how we interpret or even handle the news? Um, what role do we play in this overwhelmingly uh, anxious situation that we're finding ourselves in? So I'm, uh, I'm reminded of like, and now I can't confirm if it, you know, I got the second hand, so I guess do your own research, but I like the story anyway, so I'm going to share it. Apparently, like legend goes that when, um, when the founders were coming out of the, like, in, you know, Independence Hall, uh, this, you know, after writing the Constitution, they were saying, you know, like, some lady asked Ben Franklin, like, sir, what have you given us? And he said, um, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. Because this, there's this idea that, like, kind of, like, for our government, our kind of, like, republic, Republican in, in the form of like structure, not in like political party, but like in, in order for a Republican form of government to kind of hold, um, we do need to be educated because otherwise we're going to be ceding more and more and more power over to um, elected officials that may not necessarily uh, be worthy of those powers. You know, I read a book recently, or not recently, a little bit while ago, um, The Next 100 Years by George Freeman. I neither, I neither promote nor, you know, dissuade you from reading it. It's just an interesting book that I read. And he's, he's trying to forecast the next 100 years from the year 2000 to 2100, like kind of what's going to go on in like international affairs. And he says that right now we, we are thinking that like, oh my God, it's over. You know, you know, we're, we're at this precipice where like America is just going to go downhill. And um, he, he put it into context that basically that is the state of affairs that America has always been in. We have always been in a, we've always lived with a sense that it's about to end. This great American ideal, you know, in the 1800s, in the late 1800s, it was the civil war. Then we get to the turn of the century and we have World War I, then we have World War II. Then, you know, throughout the 50s and 60s, you know, kids are hiding under their desk because they think that it's gonna be, you know, a, there's gonna be a bomb falling on us from the Russians. We always, throughout our history are always thinking this American experiment is gonna fail any day now. And uh, it never has. We've always actually gone on to, you know, like new advances, new, new highs. And so um, even with our fear, I think um, America, part of being American is kind of like hopefulness within this fear, like believing that, yeah, this, this, what we're working towards might be in danger, but it's still greater days are ahead of us, I guess. So I don't think that America is over, um, but I think that um, it's definitely in danger, though I don't think necessarily it's fatal. I think uh, there's a lot of hope to be had in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I can absolutely see like what you were describing from the book. I see the validity of that, and I, I think in some ways, uh, there's a little bit of the, uh, I don't know, my history as being a really evangelical and growing up believing the apocalypse and Jesus return was always two seconds away from us. It could happen at any moment. And um, I don't know. I mean, I think there, there has been kind of a bizarre fascination for generations with the end of all things. And 
Hey, uh, I was reading an article not that long ago uh, about our fascination with Doomsday, and um, it was reflecting on how, at least in in modern current times, um, it may be a way for us to kind of propose questions about society and what makes um, something ethical or what makes it unethical. Um, just using it as kind of a platform for the ability to ask more challenging societal questions. Um, because there's so many films where like we play with the ideas of like, you know, it's the end of all things, or it's this really dystopian picture of what's going on. And I think in a way it's, it's almost our human effort to step back from our own situation and ask questions about the way that we're interacting as a society. Um, so while we do kind of have this surface level fascination with, oh my gosh, maybe this is the end of everything. And we kind of talk it up in those terms. I wonder if there isn't some deeper uh, behavior that we're all trying to kind of keep ourselves in check and balance and ask ourselves some of those uh, bigger questions. I think you guys made great points. I do like the idea of just kind of um, understanding that, you know, America has gone through so much and every generation has its own impending doom looming, looming over it. Um, and how we deal with that, how we interact with that is what kind of defines a generation. And, um, you know, we just call it a different name. And, you know, anarchist, communist, terrorist, you know, these are things that are kind of um, things that were our very existence is threatened by. But in terms of like the inner turmoil, um, you know, it's very interesting just to be living in these times because I remember as a kid when I was in eighth grade with 9-11, I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to be in the history books next year. And just that idea that I'm living history, <laughs> like I'm living historical events that will now be put into um, the books was was very interesting to me. And it just kind of gave me a different view about history. And now, and then ever since then, how I engaged with history was kind of like, this is the story of what someone else went through, just like what I went through. And so for me, history is very much about story. And I look at other civilizations and countries and their histories and how they got through and there is turmoil, there is different things that draw them apart, but ultimately a lot of these those countries are still here today. And I, I feel like our general desire for like independence and, and being able to um, rally behind whatever freedom means for us, because um, it means something for different people in this, in this country. And um, um, I think that the fact that it can mean something different for everyone is something that can kind of drive us forward. It can, you know, obviously there is going to be people who clash with their definitions of what freedom is, but um, I still find inspiration in that. Um, and I still feel that, um, you know, our country is based on beliefs that I can be proud of. I acknowledge it just like a relative. Like I, I see all the bad stuff about my country, um, but it's my country. I love my country. Um, Maybe I wouldn't have chosen my country, but it's my country nonetheless, and um, I am proud of it and proud to be here. And I feel like a lot of people feel that way, even if living here in this country has done them wrong in some way. So I do feel like 
we are going to pull through this. We are, are going to get through it um, because ultimately, you know, that's it's just people coming together is is and I don't know. I see pictures of of like this is such a beautiful story of someone helping out someone else and it's just strangers and stuff. Like people are very um, become very hopeful when they see interactions that are positive, and um, to me that gives me hope. I think the difficulty of about having hope is that you see so many examples uh, in your daily life around the world that seems to disprove uh, any optimistic outcome. You know, I, I think what gives me hope is understanding that each step of the way, there's always been a movement towards something better. What's hard about in feeling hope is that I don't know if what I'm feeling is going to be true. Uh, I don't know if what I fear is going to be true. And it's uh, it's this weird balance of trying to figure out how to live out the hope that you have for this country in terms of it progressing towards something better, uh, it being something that in, improves the quality of life, not only for people in this country, but for people around the world but yet at the same time wrestle with that fear and anxiety of, well, could this be it, you know? Um, but the, the optimism that I have is in knowing that we're not the only people having these kind of conversations about how to improve conditions, um, not only for ourselves, but for other people on this planet. So, so for me, I, I guess I'm, I'm more, it's, it's slightly pessimistic because there, I can't ever picture us being, uh, an immortal civilization. Uh, but what I could picture us is contributing something worthwhile towards generations to come. Thank you so much for listening and a big thank you to Eastlick Coffee Company for sponsoring our show and Fact Not Fiction for our lovely intro song. Thank you so much and have a great summer.